Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this morning and turning to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Wonderful theme that we've been considering in Psalm this morning, the song of the redeemed, that our redemption, the redemption that has been provided for us is eternal and the love of God never fails. We are opening our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 1. Perhaps you, like me, have downloaded a Bible on an electronic communication device and you are able to uh, read the Bible there or even listen to the Bible there. Let me encourage you, the book of Philippians is four chapters, 104 verses. I've been trying every day to listen to a read-through of the book of Philippians. I have Alexander Scorby on my device, so I have this deep, resonant voice that reads to me every morning. It takes about 10 minutes to hear the whole book of Philippians, and it's a blessing. We're going to be looking verse by verse at the book of Philippians very intentionally. You'll find that there are three key words in the letter to the Philippians. There's the word mind, there's the word work, and there's the word joy. Now, joy is the one that's most compelling. It's used 16 times. But those three words weaved together provide for us the theme of this letter, and the theme really is work with the proper mind or spirit attitude will result in joy. I read a study recently that was published in February from the University of California, Berkeley. The article said, quote, depression is increasing in the United States. Depressive symptoms are at least three times higher than they were before the pandemic hit. Sadder still, the impact that the COVID pandemic is having on young people in America. In fact, right here at the Riley Hospital in Indianapolis, they reported that the number of teens and the number of children hospitalized after suicidal attempts has gone up from 67 in 2019 to 108 in 2020, and it's climbing. In fact, pediatric psychologist Hillary Blake of Riley reported a 250% increase in suicide-related admissions in October of 29 as compared to October of 2020. These things ought to concern us. They ought to concern us especially as believers because God's Word gives us the answer in times like these. We're purposefully turning in our Bibles to an epistle of joy. Philippians chapter 1, a short letter written by the Apostle Paul from a Roman prison cell with the intent of encouraging the Philippian church who had ministered to his needs and letting them know that he was rejoicing and they could rejoice too. In fact, he's going to say in Philippians 4 and verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now listen, God never gives us an imperative, a commandment without giving us the power to fulfill that commandment and the pathway to approach its fulfillment. And you'll find in the book of Philippians instructions for those who would know an abundance of joy. And if there's ever been a time that God's people need to know that and show that, now is the time. And so this morning, we've opened to Philippians chapter 1, where we discover once again the joy of community. Philippians 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, 
being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look in his word. Now, Father, this morning, I pray that you would help someone to understand today the source of our joy, that they would have it springing up in their heart. And Lord, I pray for some who are here today who don't know Christ as Savior, that they would hear the gospel and be saved. Lord, I pray also for believers here that you would help us to understand that you've given to us the capacity to live with joy in a community that's confused and to show the joy of the Lord, which indeed is our strength. And so, Lord, help us to come into your word this morning expecting a blessing, expecting to learn and grow so we can live for you and ultimately hear, well done, good and faithful servant. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the relatively unknown church fathers was a gentleman by the name of Basil of Caesarea. Basil of Caesarea made the following statement. He said, when we live our lives in isolation, what we have is unavailable and what we lack is unprocurable. What he meant by that was when we withdraw ourselves from interaction with others, the gifts that God has given to us to share with others are no longer available to them. And the gifts that God has given to others to share with us are no longer available either. That's why I'm confident when I say God wants each of us to know the joy of Christian community. We're living in a generation that's characterized by churchless faith. Churchless faith. In fact, David Barrett in his book, The World Christian Encyclopedia, estimates that there are some 112 million Christians around the globe who don't identify at all with a local church or a church of any stripe or denomination. That's fully 5% of the professing Christians on the planet who have no identification with a church. That is sad. That is surely not how God planned it to be. Many who profess to love the Lord don't seem to love what the Lord loved. Ephesians 4 and verse 25 says, He loved the church and He gave Himself for it. How we ought to love the church, the community that God has given to us, in which we can lift up a banner to the community round about and show them the light. God wants each of us to be blessed by a Christian community. He wants you to find joy in local church. As we open our Bibles to the book of Philippians, we're reading a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a church that he loved dearly. He loved the church at Philippi. We know that because he says in verse 3 that they're in his thoughts regularly. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, Philippians 1 and verse 3. And more than that, they were in his prayers. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all. And we discover in verse 7 They were in his heart, for he says in verse 7, I have you in my heart. This was a church that the Apostle Paul loved. And while Paul's journey for Jesus would find him locked up in a Roman prison cell, he still speaks to the Philippians of joy, irrepressible joy. Sixteen times he's going to speak of this joy. He wants the Philippians and us to know something. He wants us to know that God has provided a pathway for his people to have joy, and that pathway includes community. 
He wants us to know the joy of a caring Christian community. Now, last week I began by saying that there are seven essentials for finding joy in community that are found in these first verses of Philippians chapter 1. We covered three of them, and I'm going to review them quickly this morning. This morning we're going to cover three more, and I'm going to hold one out till next week. We're going to discover that in that community there's the wonderful joy of having certainty of salvation and having that security that comes. For Philippians 1 and verse 6 says we can be confident of this very thing, that the one who's begun a good work in us will perform it. But as I look in this passage, I'm reminded, and you ought to be as well, that God has provided a pathway for us to have joy in community. And that pathway is a pathway where there must be humility. There must be humility. Philippians 1 and verse, verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. These two beloved missionaries are willing to be introduced for all time for the Bible is given to us for time and eternity, as slaves, doulas, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul helps us to understand that in Romans 6 and verse 22, when he says, when he was freed from sin, he became a servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. He proudly called himself a servant. He was a servant leader. Paul and Timothy did not want to be known as big shots, no, they were simply God's servants. They understood what Jesus Christ our Savior said in Matthew 23 and verse 11. Jesus said, those who would be great among you, let them be your servants. For many years, Northland Baptist Bible College up in Dunbar, Wisconsin, graduated students and gave them two gifts at graduation. First, the diploma that they'd earned representing their academic achievement. And then over their arm, they would be given a towel it's kind of a funny graduation gift, but it was symbolic, and it was wonderfully symbolic. In fact, the students were told the one who dies with the dirtiest towel wins. It was a symbol of being a servant. The Apostle Paul and Timothy here in this passage identify with the theme of servant leadership, and so should we. You see, the joy of Christian community begins with humility, and not just humility, inclusivity. There is inclusivity in Christian community. Unlike other communities, the Christian community is purposely designed by God to allow inclusivity. And so in verse 1 we read that this letter that's sent by Paul and Timotheus is sent to whom? Well, to all the saints. All the saints that are there in Philippi. And that little word all is found five times in rapid succession in this passage. And so you'll find that word in verse 1, all the saints. And again in verse 4, for you all making requests with joy. Twice in verse 7, he references all of them. He says, I think this of you all, and at the end you all are partakers of my grace. And then again in verse 8, I long after you all. You see, in a healthy Christian community, no one's to be left out. Everyone is a saint. Now, that's not to say that everyone is perfect or sinless. No, the first John says, if we say we're without sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. But it's a wonderful title that is given because we are separated unto God at the moment of salvation. And it's inclusive. It's to everyone. Friends, we are living in a time in which people are increasingly lonely. 
Increasingly challenged by the depression that comes on with social isolation and physical distancing. And we have a wonderful message that we need to be presenting so joyfully to the world round about us. And that message is a message of inclusivity. All can come to Christ by faith. And by coming to Christ by faith, they are accepted in the beloved. And what a wonderful position to enjoy. My mother was from Boston. For almost 20 years, I had the privilege of pastoring just an hour north of Boston. So I've taken a lot of nickel tours of Boston, showed people that were interested around some of the more famous sites. Usually when somebody wanted to go through Boston, I'd start at Bunker Hill and show them the Bunker Hill Monument. Then I'd drive them down to Old North Church, then old by, over by Old Ironsides, then from Old Ironsides down into the city center more by the Boston Common and then the Public Garden. And as you go by the Public Garden, you're going by the capital of Massachusetts, Beacon Street. You go by the Public Garden and there on the right, there's a, there's a sign out front and it says, Cheers, established 1895. Now, most of the people that I drove through Boston were pastors or people in ministry, and so I was always interested to see if they would notice that sign. I never pointed it out. But a lot of people would say, is that the Cheers bar from the Cheers television series? I'd always have to say, yeah, you shouldn't know that, but yes, that's what that is. <laughs> it's not really on my tour, but that, you just found it. You found something on your own. There was always a crowd out in front of that place. Seldom would there be a crowd in front of Paul Revere's home. Sometimes there was a crowd in front of the Old North Church where Paul Revere hung the lantern, but there was always a crowd out in front of the Cheers bar. People going in, coming out, getting their picture taken, buying souvenirs. Why? Because the television show by that same title advertised it was a place where everyone knows your name. People wanted a place where they could identify, where they were known, where they had friends, where they entered into a no-judgment zone, where they could express themselves honestly. Folks, God didn't design bars to do that. God designed the church to provide that. It's a place where we can enter inclusively. All in this room who have come to Christ are, are saints. What a fabulous title. What a blessing we've been given. And what an opportunity God has given to us then to be able to express ourselves honestly to one another in a place where God's people can pray for one another and encourage one another in the things of the Lord. Folks, God has designed us not to live alone. God has designed us to follow in his image. And in his image, there's a necessity of community, and that community needs to be a place where humility is demonstrated and inclusivity is assumed, where diversity is celebrated. I find that in the church at Philippi. We're introduced to the church at Philippi back in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, the Bible tells us of the very first person in the West to come to Christ as Savior. Her name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple from Thyatira. She was at the riverside having a Bible study. She was Jewish. And as she studied God's Word, the Apostle Paul arrived at that place and shared from God's Word how that Christ was Messiah. She accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. She was saved and she was baptized. And she became a charter member of the church at Philippi. After that, the Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul faced off in the streets of Philippi with a damsel, a damsel who was filled with demons. And the demons were cast out, and my, how her 
how her handlers were upset because they no, no longer had the fortune-telling business of the city of Philippi through that demon-possessed damsel. She too must have identified and been part of this church in Philippi. And you'll recall that after they cast out the demons from the damsel, the people in Philippi were so upset that they arrested the Apostle Paul and Silas, his compatriot. They beat them and they put them in jail. And at midnight, they sang the praises of God, much to the amusement at that time, no doubt, of the Philippian jailer until the earthquake came. And the earthquake came and all of the jail cells opened up and the Philippian jailer cried out, Sir, what must I do to be saved? And that's the cry of every generation. And the answer to every generation came from the Apostle Paul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And he was. He was baptized in his house. He too became a charter member of the church at, at Philippi. And then as we open to the book that has the name to the Philippians, we come to discover in chapter 2 this man in the Philippian church by the name of Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent from the church of Philippi to Rome where the Apostle Paul was in jail and then from Rome back to Philippi. Sent with an offering to help the Apostle Paul out. Sent to encourage the Apostle Paul and then to encourage the church to tell the church how Paul was doing. There were no cell phones. There were no telephones. There were no fax services. So Epaphroditus took it upon himself to travel the distance and bring back the message to the church of encouragement from the Apostle Paul. I said during the early service this morning that Epaphroditus traveled from Philippi to Rome and asked the question, do you know how far that is? And I referenced it's over 4,600 miles. You know how I know that? I Googled it on Google Map. You know what I didn't look at carefully? That was Philippi, West Virginia. That's not <laughs> Philippi in modern Turkey. I've been to Philippi, West Virginia many times, but the suitors probably have too. They had one of the most beautiful covered bridges in the world in Philippi, West Virginia. I sold vacuum cleaners there. If I had walked from Philippi, West Virginia over to Rome, it had been 4,600 miles. It was about 850 miles from uh, ancient Philippi to, to Rome. But Epaphroditus made that journey, that great sacrifice. He would have been in that early church. In that early church, there would have been a couple ladies there. Yodius and Syntyche, they're spoken of in Philippians 4 and verse 1, and those two ladies didn't get along well. They were women who had some attitude that needed to be adjusted. The Apostle Paul writes to them that they would be of one mind, these two strong-willed women. You know what I discover when I look at the church at Philippi? This is not a cookie-cutter congregation. <laughs> You've got a man who's identified with the jail. You've got a woman who's selling purple, who's wealthy. You've got a sacrificial servant by the name of Epaphroditus who's been ill. It's been said this way, one place there is beneath the buried sod where all mankind is equalized by death. Another place there is the church of God where all are equal who've drawn breath. I can't begin to tell you how important it is that we understand that a church, the blood-washed, redeemed followers of Jesus Christ, is to be a place of diversity where every nation, tongue, tribe, and people can come together and find that the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. And in the culture in which we're living right now, where people are studying after the ways of critical race theory and looking for social justice, 
It's imperative that God's people understand we have the answer for that. When it comes to the topic of race, God's word solves it for us. We're one race. We're all an Adam. When it comes to the concept of social justice, God's word solves that too. We're all sinners. And the only way real justice can ever be known is that Christ Jesus, Christ, Christ Jesus died upon the cross without sin for our sins. That he died for us and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And at the foot of the cross, as it's well been said, all ground is equal. God wants us to be able to enjoy and grow in and find rejoicing in community. And so we know from this passage that community that God has designed is a place of humility where there are servant leaders and a place of inclusivity where all are saints and a place of diversity, but it's also a place of identity. Let me explain. Again, we live in a culture, and I think every culture has been like this, where people want to identify. They'll learn goofy handshakes, and they'll say vows. They'll even endure humiliating initiations to identify. Some identify with their favorite sports teams and spend a great amount of monies to buy jerseys and go to the games and even join clubs. People seek identity. You realize that Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1 is about identity. This passage speaks of positional identity, and it speaks of local identity, and it speaks of organizational identity. You say, how's that, Pastor Phelps? I don't see it there. Well, follow with me. The positional identity that is spoken of in verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints, there it is, in Christ Jesus. I would love to do a series of messages sometime on the two words, in Christ. They are so rich. Seventy-seven times these two words, in Christ, appear in the New Testament. Sometimes when we read the phrase, in Christ, it's speaking of the object of our faith, that we have faith in Christ. In Acts 24 and verse 24, the apostle Paul spoke to Felix about his faith in Christ, Christ being the object of his faith. In Galatians 3 and verse 26, we read that we're children of God by faith in Christ. That's the object of our faith. But that's not how Paul is speaking of being in Christ in verse 1. He's speaking here of the position that we enjoy. It's positional. At the moment of your salvation, you came to be in Christ. There's a new position that you inhabit. You see, the Word of God assures us in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and all things become new. Something wonderful, many things wonderful happen at the moment of your salvation. One of the most wonderful things that happens is you're baptized by the Spirit of God into one body, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female. You come to be in Christ. Romans 8 verse 1 says it this way, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, one soul at a time, he's building his body, the church. And he's washing that body today with the washing of the water of the word. That he might present that body, the church, the redeemed, all together wonderfully to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Friend, when you got saved, you came to be in Christ. What a wonderful position we enjoy. It's to be celebrated. 
I have a positional identity that I received without anything that I paid for. It was all paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. He made me to be part of his body, the church, and you too, if you've come to Christ as Savior. He's speaking here of a positional identity and a local identity. In verse 1, he's speaking to those who were at Philippi. Philippi was a famous town in the ancient world. It was a commercial center. It had been a place that was well known to the Phoenicians for its gold and its silver. It had been fought over in the ancient world, and now it was part of Rome. In fact, it was a Roman colony, which means those who were born at Philippi were born Roman citizens. What a tremendous privilege. And in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, the Spirit of God, is going to reference that and say, hey, wait a minute, you rejoice that you're citizens of Rome. Here's a greater reason for rejoicing. Your citizenship is in heaven, and you're waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ who will change these vile bodies that they may be like unto his glorified body. But he's talking to them about their local identity. They had something special. They were part of this church that God was building in Philippi. Does it cross your mind on Sunday morning as you wake up to gather here of the blessing we enjoy. Way back in 1957, Dr. Wendell Huller was led by God to start a church, a lighthouse on the northeast side of Indianapolis. And we, whether we live in Indianapolis or in the suburbs roundabout, have the privilege today of maybe following the Beltway or coming up Keystone to gather here in a place in this locale where we can shine the light of the gospel to others. We ought to celebrate that. Every place that has a local church is a place where God's people ought to celebrate. And how sad and how dreary it must be for those who are in places far off where they can't gather to sing the songs of the redeemed and encourage one another in love. This passage speaks of a local identity, and it speaks of an organizational identity. After all, Paul's addressing not just the saints, but he's addressing the bishops and the deacons. Now, these are two titles we know well, the bishops and the deacons. But if we dig in just a little bit deeper, we come to understand he's speaking of the organization of this church. The church is not just a haphazard group of people that come together. No, the church, local as well as universal, has organization. And so there are the bishops. This word bishop is the Greek word episkopos. We get our word the episcopate or the Episcopalian church. The word means those who supervise or those who manage or those who are curators, those who are watching over. That's the same word that's used in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1. If any man desires the office of bishop, episkopos. It's the title of an officer in the local church. Now the person who serves as an episkopos or a bishop is one who's supposed to superintend, manage, give watch care. And that same person has two other titles. Sometimes the bishops are called elders in the Scriptures, and sometimes the bishops are called pastors in the Scriptures. It's been said you can tell what kind of church you're in by what they call the minister. They call him father. You're probably in a Roman Catholic church. Somehow has never read that Jesus said, call no man father on earth. If, you call, if he's called reverend, it's probably a pretty formal church. If he's called brother, it might be charismatic or less formal church. If he's called bishop, you may be in an African-American church. They seem to like that title. You say, well, why do we call you pastor? I love the title pastor. It's such an honor. The word pastor comes from the word pasture. You can hear the shepherd and the sheep 
in the, in the word. Elder means one who's a representative, who has maturity. So the three titles, the bishop, the elder, and the pastor, are woven together into one office. And that office was being conducted in the church at Philippi. And it says bishops. Why? <laughs> they didn't gather in a large auditorium like we are this morning. It's far more likely they were gathering in houses. After all, they were the infantile church going through a time of persecution. But along the way, they also had the privilege of having deacons. The word deacon or diakonos means servants. These are the two offices of the local church. Organizationally, each church that has the blessing of bishops and deacons is blessed of God. Can I ask you a question? If you were living in the ancient world and having the privilege of traveling through Philippi, wouldn't you like to go to the church at Philippi? I would. I'd want to meet the jailer who got saved in that earthquake. I, I would want to meet that damsel who was delivered from her demon possession. I'd, I'd love to meet Lydia and find out about what God did to bring her to faith. I'd even like to meet Yodius and Syntyche, wouldn't you? I'd like to know what was it that caused them to be at odds with each other so much so that their names are in Philippians 4 and verse 1, and those names will be there throughout eternity. So someday in heaven, I'm going to be able to look them up. Hey, Yodius, Syntyche, what was it that caused such friction between the two of you that we're talking about it now when time is no longer? All that to say this. The church at Philippi was not a perfect church. But it was a local church with organizational structure in a place together where they were in Christ spiritually and yet gathered together locally to do His work. What a wonderful blessing they enjoyed. Every Christian needs the joy of Christian community. A place where there's humility in servant leadership, inclusivity among the membership, understanding that all are saints. That there's diversity there, different backgrounds, and there's an identity that comes to be common and it comes to be rejoiced in. And there's also dependency there. Dependency. What do I mean? Look at verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes this familiar greeting. It's part of his formal greeting. It's found in every letter that he writes. He says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Always he opens his letters with these two words. The word grace is the Greek word charis. It was the typical hello from a Greek-speaking person. Grace and peace. Now that's the Hebrew word shalom. The typical greeting between the Jewish people. He weaves those two things together. Grace and peace. Grace, listen. Grace is God's gift given to us that brings us peace. Grace is God's undeserved favor that leads us to enjoy peace. Dr. Alva J. McLean said it this way. You may search the Word of God, but you will never find peace first. It's always grace and peace, never peace and grace. And then he says, you cannot have peace until you first have grace. A man may search and seek until the end of his life, but until he receives grace through Christ, he can never have peace. That's true. If you're searching for peace, spiritual peace, eternal peace, purposeful, intentional peace, even in the midst of a pandemic, the way to have it is by accepting the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross in your place and mine, living a sinless life. 
He gave himself a perfect sacrifice, rising from the dead so that we can know he's God. He gives to us his grace, the forgiveness of sins, his grace, the spirit of God to dwell within us. And with that comes peace. No wonder John Newton would write the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The joy of Christian community is marked by humility and inclusivity, diversity, identity, dependency. And it's marked by something that very few people seem to know in the 21st century. It's marked by intimacy, by intimacy. More and more students of church growth will say, people like to attend church where they're anonymous. May I say it this way? There's no such thing as church that's anonymous. God purposely designed community for us to have joy. And as we hear the studies and recognize round about us the loneliness that's so pervasive in our culture today, we come to understand that we serve a good God who said it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a help meet for him. For Adam, there was family. For Abraham, there was nation. For us today, there's church. It's the church that God has given to us, a place where intimacy is to be enjoyed. You'll find the Apostle Paul says in verse 3, I, I'm going to pause on the word I. I've counted through the book of Philippians. You know what I discovered? 52 times the Apostle Paul uses the personal pronoun I, me, or my. He's writing a very intimate letter to the people at Philippi. He's intentionally intimate in his tone. So much that he's going to say in verse 7, I have you in my heart. So intimate that he's going to say very admittedly in verse 8, I long for you all. You see, the church of the New Testament is not a place where anonymity abounds. <laughs> the church of the New Testament is a place where intimacy is expected. And so the Apostle Paul in verse 3 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In essence, the Apostle Paul is providing a pathway for us to find intimacy that every soul craves. Let me show it to you here. There's intimacy that begins with appreciation in this passage. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. If you would know the joy of Christian community, you need to first foster an attitude of gratitude. You need to allow yourself to consider what blessings you enjoy to have Christian friends to encourage you and pray for you. What blessings you enjoy to have a common purpose together to shine the light to a community roundabout that needs to hear. What blessings we enjoy. In fact, the Apostle Paul is going to appeal to the Philippians that their intimacy of appreciation grow and grow. He's going to talk to them in chapter 2 about the need to be of one mind. And in chapter 4, he's going to reintroduce that same theme. Sadly, you see, in every place, in every locale, there are those believers who are hurting. And because they're hurting, and that's not to be diminished, they find themselves reticent to really get involved, reticent to give of themselves, hesitant to really be intimate and share burdens and prayer requests and connect with one another. We're wired to be connected. 
The local church is the place where that wiring is fulfilled. The old adage says, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will sure be glory. To dwell below with saints we know, that's a different story. The Apostle Paul was not someone who simply said, hey, I'll pray for you and for God. No, he was on a pathway of intimacy that led first through appreciation to real and honest supplication. In verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. He promised to pray for them, and he did. There are many things that are, to me, a blessing as the pastor of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. But one of the sweetest blessings I enjoy happens pretty much every Wednesday afternoon and every Sunday afternoon. Sometimes before our Wednesday evening service and sometime before our Sunday evening service, I'll get a text, I'll get an email, I'll get somebody reaching out saying, hey, can you tell the church family to pray for me about this or pray for me about that? That's a tremendous blessing. It's really exactly what the church of Philippi was. The Apostle Paul was always praying for them and praying for them with joy because he enjoyed not only an intimate relationship that started with appreciation and grew through intercession or prayer for them, but it was always involved in action. That was a focus. He speaks in this passage of the fellowship that they enjoyed in verse 5. From the very beginning, this word fellowship is koinonia. It speaks of that partnership in ministry. And he's going to use that word four times in Philippians. It's deeper than friendship. It's far more gratifying than friendship. He's speaking of how he's been knit together with this group of people for the advancement of the gospel. Back in September of 2016, Christianity Today magazine published an article that began like this. Listen to these words. Many Christians today are on a quest to find the perfect church where they won't get hurt, they can do whatever they want, they can hear only preaching that they want to hear, and be surrounded by people who won't offend them. Maybe you're one of them today, and if you are, says the author, I hate to be the one to tell you that what you're looking for is equivalent to finding the fountain of youth. The title of the article was apt. The title was, Are You Looking for the Perfect Church? Here's some bad news. It doesn't exist. It's true. It doesn't exist. It will one day when those who have gathered together on earth in imperfect local churches gather together at last in a perfect and glorified universal church to sing worthy is the Lamb. But until that day, dear friend, the Lord has given to us the privilege of finding joy in community. He began that as he began to call out his disciples. Here's a tax collector. Here's an entrepreneur. Here's one who's young. Here's one who's old. Here's one who's quiet and doubtful. Here's one who's impetuous and strong. He wove together those 12 to give to us an understanding of the diversity. And then he walked with them so that we could understand the intimacy. And then he empowered them so we could understand our dependency. And if you study the lives of the apostles, you know what you come to discover? Just like the local church today, it was not a perfect group. But I sure would have loved to have been part of that group because Jesus was there. Dear Christian, this morning in a time in which many people are finding themselves vulnerable, lonely, sad, and even suicidal, we have the answer. We have the answer. 
The answer is, come to Jesus Christ as Savior and you'll never be alone again. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Come to know him and you'll be welcomed as one of the saints into a community of love. Not perfect, but headed somewhere. Headed to the throne of God. And along the way, as you hear in the news, even this week, of an increasing sorrow in our community, may it stir your heart to recognize you have the answer. God wants us to find joy in community. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. I'm on the Colonial Hills Podcast.